You're listening to episode 183 of the Mad Chatters podcast, April 4th, 2018. Most everyone's mad here. <laughs> Another episode of the Mad Chatters podcast. Your very important date with the happenings at Walt Disney World and around the Disney universe. My name is Derek, and joining me on this week's show are my fellow chatters, Matthew. I need sustenance. And Jeremy. Did you know three million people die every year as a result of exposure to air pollution? <laughs> what what's pollution? Killer. Well, on that happy note, we are going to kick off the show with a Mad Chatters playlist. When you're in the mood for a Disney, somebody song you play just goes so wrong. We are happy to assist. We need a segment made for this. Now it's time for the Mad Chatters playlist. All right, this week's playlist is Deep Cuts. Now, these are Disney songs or songs in the Disney universe that uh, are probably not going to be featured on a best of Disney album that's going to be released. We're not talking about your Beauty and the Beast, your Under the Sea, your When You Wish Upon a Star. These are songs that perhaps you've probably never heard of, or if you have, you're like, wow, that's a random pick. So Deep Cuts it is. Matt Chatter Playlist. nice Uh, whenever i don't know how to end anything i just give a whip noise give a whip noise it works in life too yes Uh, conversation just (laughs) i'm gonna go first uh my first song comes from aladdin the musical that was performed at dca out in california wow (laughs) Told you we're going deep here, but it is available. You can find it like on iTunes, I believe, or whatever. But it's a song that that struck me um, because I really like the lyrics, and I think it really speaks to the character of Jasmine. It's called "To Be Free," and so she sings it in the palace towards the beginning of the show, in which she's longing to be freed from her, uh, you know, life that she leads as a princess. Um, but it's very slow and kind of uh, sad sounding. Has you know, it's not a peppy song. But she talks about how little bird in a gilded cage, and oh, how sad it must be for her. Even though you know, to the outside looking, oh, how nice it would be to have a gilded cage. But the inside, you know, she's she's a prisoner. Must I yearn forever to be free, free to climb a tree and ponder? to wander There's no desire I hold fonder than to be Simply me To be free So it's a beautiful little song and like I said it really gives a depth to the character of Jasmine that I think sometimes is lacked because you can almost look at Jasmine as like a spoiled little brat in one way, but I, I think is. we would all, <laughs> I think we would all agree though, that none of us, no matter how lavish our lifestyle, if we didn't have the freedom to choose 
the free will, if you will, uh, to choose how we want to lead our lives, uh, that that would be miserable. Yeah, that's funny that you say that. I remember when the Aladdin soundtrack came out for the musical, and that song is not in it. Instead, Jasmine's song is These Palace Walls. I need to listen to them both again, but I think I like To Be Free better than I like These Palace Walls. And it was written specifically for a theme park. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow, that is a deep cut. Uh, mine is from one of the 50-whatever Walt Disney Animation Studios films, so I don't know if this can be considered a deep cut. But it's from Brother Bear, which does not get talked about a lot. Positively. But... <laughs> Uh, no, just period. I don't think anyone's really talking about this movie. But the soundtrack, like Tarzan's, was written mostly by Phil Collins and performed mostly by Phil Collins. And the song that plays over the opening credits is called Look Through My Eyes. And it's kind of like a soaring epic. Like, it's got a great hook. I think the lyrics are very basic and kind of like Rivers of Light, it doesn't really say a lot, even though it's pretty. Uh, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, it's, it's a really well-written song, lyrics aside. Musically, it's a very, very good song. Look Through My Eyes, Phil Collins performs it. And, and I remember watching Brother Bear last year for the first time. And when this started off the movie, I was like, wow, this is going to be pretty good. It, it wasn't that good. Uh, But the music, I think, has a lot of high points in it. So don't run, don't hide, it will be alright, you'll see, trust me, I'll be there watching over you. Just take a look, take a look through my eyes. There's a little place somewhere out there. Just take a look Now listen, Brother Bear gets a bad rap, but th- it does have its good points. I like how the the what do they call that the, the the adjustment of the film changes. Like it starts as like letterbox and like very harsh tones and yeah, yeah. And then when he becomes the bear, spoiler, it kind of becomes more cartoony, if you would. Um, plus, the music is good. Uh, Welcome from from that film. Uh-huh. On My Way was a, another favorite of mine. And you're right. I think the movie is actually pretty good. Definitely better than um, what it's given credit for. True that. So. My first pick comes from The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. And it is uh, perhaps the theme song for Mr. Toad. And that's We're Merely On Our Way. Uh, long version. We're merely on our way to nowhere in particular. And I think the reason I like this song so much is because I always associate it with Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Mm -hmm. Because when we would wait in that queue, they, I mean, it was like, it had to be no longer than like a minute portion of that song that just looped without end. And, (laughs) And it never got on my nerves as a child. I always just remember it had that careening, chaotic kind of sound to it that just fit the attraction. And it just... I always liked that as, as a little kid, and I liked that, that ride. And so when I hear that today, it kind of nostalgia, but also I just like the, I just like the song. We're always in a hurry. We have no time to stall. We've got to be there. We've got to be there. But where we can't be calm. We're 
Uh, my next pick is from Phineas and Ferb, which, by the way, Phineas and Ferb is on Netflix. I just recently discovered this. I don't know why I didn't know this, but I'm rewatching it. Um, it's just a good mindless show. But they did a special in which they like traveled the world. Uh, it was like an hour long thing, and there was musical numbers throughout it. And my favorite song on there is when they're in Paris, and Paris is one of my favorite cities in general. And it's called The City of Love. And the song is when um, the little girl, oh my gosh, her name just went right out of my head. Ah, I forget her name. But anyways, uh, she has a crush on Phineas. And so she's trying to relay her feelings for him and and, because they're in the city of love. But he's preoccupied with trying to uh, build their airplane to get them back home. And so he's not, you know, really paying attention to her. So it's just a fun little song, and it makes me think of Paris. We could try some fancy cheese or peruse the gallery. I wonder if oil-based paint is combustible. as a rocket fuel. Isn't this a perfect day? How do I look in this ballet? Oh, that reminds me. We might need helmets. Oh, how can he not feel the same way? Wait, what's the City of Lights? Well, that's also Paris. <laughs> but, uh, oh. <laughs> well, that's disappointing. You can't have all the names, Paris. Mm. Can you? Okay, my deep cut is from a live-action musical that was in the theaters. It's called High School Musical 3. You might have heard of it. Uh, If it helps, the subtitle is called Senior Year. Ringing any bells? I don't know. Uh, But there's a song from this, and I can't can't believe I'm picking this because I don't think Zac Efron has that, that great of a voice, honestly. But there's a song he sings when his dad is trying to get him to go to... Like the University of Albuquerque, Albuquerque, I want to say, and then he also wants to go to Juilliard, and so he's torn, and all these voices are speaking at him. So he runs through the school highways and uh, highways, hallways, and he's punching lockers, and he sings this song called "Scream," and it's almost like a piano rock ballad, you know, like the person just like really hits the keys really hard, like. And there's an electric guitar solo near the end, and I actually think it's a really good song. I mean, I knew I was going to get that reaction, but 
It's a deep cut, and no one ever talks about High School Musical 3, but it's got some good stuff in there. Well, there's actually a meme going around that says something about my level of stress is Troy Bolton trying to decide between whatever he's trying to decide in the song. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Scream. And then at the end, <laughs> this is so cheesy, the end of the song is him screaming. Of course. Ah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Because if he was giggling, it'd be ironic. <laughs> Who right. gets to direct these things? And do they take themselves seriously? But I appreciate your addition. Uh, his name is Kenny Ortega, and the answer is yes. Yeah. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got an idea. Let's end this with you screaming. Huh? <laughs> huh? Maybe Zach Efron ad-libbed that. Mm. Oh, that's good. Let's keep it. <laughs> I just feel like that's what the character would have done right there. <laughs> yeah. You're going to make something of yourself. And you man, keep this up, kid, and Baywatch is in your reach. That's you know? right. <laughs> I was going there, too, but she went there for me. <laughs> Uh, my next pick is from the parks, and it's hard to pick one from the parks because, you know, I'm talking about deep cuts from the park. For parks fans, it's a lot of parks in one, like, <laughs> phrase. For parks fans, you know, we know the, the deep cuts, and they're not so, they're not so deep. They're just kind of, like, forgotten. I don't know how to describe it. But this one, I feel like, is a really deep cut. But it was one of my favorites on the uh, official album of Walt Disney World. I don't know, circa 1997 or 98. I don't remember which one. But it was the little short theme song for XS Tech called Seize the Future. And if you love the Tomorrowland sound, like the loop that's there currently, this was all being written and done at the same time in the mid-90s. And so this theme song from XS Tech called Seize the Future has that wonderful Tomorrowland sound to it. They might still play a portion of it in the Tomorrowland loop. I don't know, because it's, I mean, it's like the same stuff. Uh, but it goes from like a happy, kind of futuristic -y, optimistic sound to very ominous. And it just always conveyed Alien Encounter through the music. Wow, and here I thought I knew every song from the parks. I did not know that one. Seizing the future. Still down. <laughs> uh, my third and final song is from the movie Wally, -E, and it's the song that is played during the closing credits. It's by Peter Gabriel, uh, who most known for leading the band Genesis, and it is the song Down to Earth. And I love this song because when it starts, it kind of has this very futuristic tone to it in the very beginning, and it starts off very soft and, and it kind of builds. And just basically the whole thing is, uh, kind of sums up the, the, the movie of Wally as far as, well, I guess not really, but it, it has that tone of Wally. Um, that, you know, we're rebuilding, we're going down to earth, and I like it. 
We're coming down to the ground There's no better place to go We've got snow upon the mountains we got rivers down below We're coming down to the ground We hear the birds sing in the trees And the lamb will be looked after we we'll send the seeds out in the trees Love this song. Yeah. Uh, nominated for an Oscar, this song. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, but it's still a deep cut. I mean, no one talks about this song, but it's great. Yeah. Especially since it's in the movie, not really known for music. I think it's surprising that this song is so good. Yeah. My final deep cut is called We Are One. And no, it's not from Rivers of Light. Hit the ocean. We are one. Ah. Nope. Although that is, that is a great song, my deep cut is from The Lion King 2, Simba's Pride. What? Surprisingly oh. has a few good songs. Uh, in fact, it has He Lives in You, which is still in the Broadway show. But the song We Are One is Simba talking to his daughter, and she's kind of scared about being attacked or whatever, and he's explaining that everything's connected, and that her pride of lions, her royal subjects will always be there to protect her because we are one. And it's got it's got a it's got a good vibe to it. Like one of those it, like an African feel and it's got like the you know almost like leaves shaking against each other. I don't know what that sound is. Like a maraca? What is that? I think I have to listen to it, but yeah. Anyway, I I don't remember if I liked this movie, or I mean, I do remember liking it, but I don't know if I would like it now, but this song has always stayed with me. I don't know that song. I'm not familiar with it either. That's why we it's, get- a, it's why it's a deep cut. That's right. <laughs> and honestly, none of these. I as this is kind of a hard, of a hard playlist to make because every time I thought of one, I was like, "Yeah, that's good, but not great." And then I remembered why it's not on best of lists. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's a deep cut, and I am bleeding out in this room right now from all these <laughs> obscure references. Hopefully, my last one will not disappoint. Um, from bed knobs and broomsticks, which, eh, you know, it kind of does. It's a deep cut of a movie ish. Um, some well known songs and some not so well known songs. And my one is a deep cut, I think, from that movie, which is The Beautiful Briny Sea. How pleasant bobbing along, bobbing along on the bottom of the beautiful briny sea. What a chance to get a better peep at the plants and creatures of the deep. We glide far below the rolling tide, serene. 
it's just one of those songs, for whatever reason, just makes you happy. And it covers, I mean, because it takes place in this animated uh, lagoon on the Isle of Nabumbu, and then it goes through all these different styles in the in the song itself, from like ballroom, jazzy, to like bossa nova, because it's on a dance floor, and there's like a live band. And so it just goes from style to style, and it's it's good. Nice. This is going to be a good playlist, I think, because I, I think it'll introduce listeners to a lot of new songs. Yeah. Yeah, and the more people I can turn on to things I like, the better. <laughs> yeah, better world that we'll all have. <laughs> True that. Next week, tune in for Jeremy's favorite songs playlist. Yeah. <laughs> Bobbing along, singing a song on the bottom of the beautiful briny, shimmery, shiny, beautiful briny sea. On this week's show, we're going to be doing a bit of nostalgic reflecting as we look back at the 90s. But before we do that, we're going to do some armchair imagineering. Hmm. Hmm. Wait a minute. I love that idea. And for this week's armchair imagineering, we're going to talk about the 90s, those things we loved or maybe didn't love but Disney-related things that were popular in the 90s. And what we're going to do is think of a way to bring it back somehow. Really, anything goes. If you want to reboot something, if you want to transform something to make it for today's audience, whatever you want to do. Matt, what are you doing? Oh, I'm glad you started with me. Um, In a classic MGM Hollywood Studios kind of fashion, I would love... I didn't go to many of these because I never was attracted by any of the things they did, but like a live, not live, like a set prop walkthrough. You know how they used to have these? I think 101 Dalmatians was there forever. And then they, Prince Caspian is the only other one I remember being there. Um, maybe they did the line, the witch in the wardrobe too, but uh, none of those ever really drew me in. But what would draw me in is like a throwback 90s, spectacular of a set prop walkthrough featuring sets from your favorite 90s Disney Channel kids shows such as Adventures in Wonderland or Welcome to Pooh Corner or Dumbo's Flying Circus or Under the Umbrella Tree. I mean, need I go on? People have to be like passing out from sheer joy just thinking about this. (laughs) I'm sorry, guys. I just came too. I was so excited. I hit the you know, in an each little thing, there's a little explanation of, of where the, the show, how the show developed and where it was filmed and little fun notes about the actors and where they are now. And maybe they're playing little snippets on, on TV screens and stuff from the show so people can kind of get the feel of where that set was. Mm. You know, the cue for the Backlot Tour, you very, very briefly went through like that warehouse looking place that had yeah. real props from old movies and I always felt like that was an untapped opportunity because you just breeze right past them and I'm like wait some of this stuff is really interesting I want to see this yeah so I'm on board yeah I like that Uh, my answer is I want to make a 90s themed resort and so what's going to happen is it's going to be more like um 
more like a, a conglomerate of houses that are all kind of one resort, but like different, uh, not connected. Does that make sense? Sure. Oh, so like a conglomerate. That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Kind of. Uh, so what's going to happen is you're going to have different buildings and each building is going to be themed to a 90s TGIF show house. Yes. And so, like, so when you stay at the 90s, um, I'm thinking of like, a, just calling it like the TGIF resort or the I Love the 90s resort. And so when you pull up, instead of having like a main front desk, each front desk is, is in its own little house. So you'll stay in the full house house or the hanging with mr cooper house or the family matters house and so when you walk in the front door the lobby is set up like the living room of that house and uh and then they have a restaurant there that's set up like the kitchen kitchen or dining room area of that home kitchen but then you know you'll go up the stairs and that's where like rooms are and they might be themed still they don't have to look like the rooms in the tv show because that's impractical but they'll still be themed you know with memorabilia and stuff from that television show but i think that would be so fun and it would inspire people to come back because you're like well i stayed in the full house resort this time now i want to stay in the muppets tonight resort or uh the dinosaur resort oh my gosh that would be awesome the dinosaur resort would be pretty cool. I don't know about family matters. I don't know if I want to stay in the the, the suburbs of Chicago on a trip to Disney World, but uh, just the building itself is themed. Sure, yeah, yeah, that's cool. You could get a picture with Carl Winslow's cop car out front. Yes, and maybe like the concierge is dressed like Urkel. Oh, okay, okay. My idea is to. In Disney Springs, open up an escape room, and there are like five or six different choices of escape rooms, and they're all themed to different Disney cartoons that were popular in the 90s. So in one of them, you are rescue rangers, and you're working with Chip and Dale to try to escape, because, you know, they're detectives. Uh, You could be in Duckburg for one of them trying to escape, and they're all themed to Disney afternoon cartoons or or maybe even, um, no, cartoons. I was going to say maybe some of the live action shows. I guess you could do that too, like Adventures in Wonderland. The Torkelsons. Oh my gosh, what? Someone just, com- someone just asked me about the Torkelsons the other day and that was the first time I'd ever heard of it. What is that? So, I don't know how shortly lived sitcom on the Disney Channel, primetime sitcom. Look him up. Look it up. Okay. I'm not familiar with Torkelson's either. Um, oh, really? I would figure you would be. No, I'm I'm curious now. I will Google this when we're done. Yeah. Well, I think those all sound like fantastic ideas. And I think Oops. Disney should get on it. Oh, you know they will. <laughs> Hey dude, welcome to our totally tubular episode dedicated to all things 90s. How's that?
righteous. <laughs> uh, this is our episode in which we are going to look back at the 1990s and all things Disney that we associate with that decade. And we've got a whole bunch of things we want to talk about because, as we have mentioned before, we are children of the 90s. And we're going to get a little reflective on this show and talk about some of the things we remember. And we're going to kick it off by talking about some of the Disney Channel original programming that was popular in that decade. Now, the Disney Channel launched in 1983, so it had been around for a little bit. But in 1990, it was carried as a basic cable channel for the very first time. So b before now, you had to order it specially as a premium channel. Starting in 1990 and for the next few years, more and more basic cable programs started to carry it as a channel. So it became more accessible. And that's some of the programming we're going to talk about right now. On the top of our TV, um, which was in a, a little solid wood, you know, like oak kind of cabinet with the, 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 the kind of rounded... Uh, I don't know, 15 or so inch, maybe a little larger than that screen. On the top, there was this little tan box that had uh, numbers, like a line of numbers on the top. And there was this little white dial you moved from number to number. And this was our first cable box. And I remember channel 21 on that little dial box was the Disney Channel. And if anybody can remember, if you can go back in your mind, there was a time when the Disney Channel did not suck. And I think the 90s, the early 90s to maybe the later 90s, not all the way through, was like the golden age of the Disney Channel. Yeah, the Disney Channel took a turn in 1998, and they did this thing called Zoog Disney. Do you remember this? Yes. Yeah, yeah, and to me, that is the turning point of when the Disney Channel became, for lack of a better word, and one that you, Matt always uses, tried to be too relevant, if you yeah. would. <laughs> and, and maybe it was just I was entering my teenage years on that time as well. So yeah, we were outgrowing it. Yeah, but man, I just remember early and mid-90s, particularly like the opening... Um, what do they call those? Like like the little breakers in between commercials and the show? Yeah. And it was like the Mickey Mouse hands would pop up and he would yeah. like make the Mickey shape. head. A little head. claymation, yeah. Oh, that is just pure gold and goodness and just, you know, shoot me in the face. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, these were the days when it was the Disney Channel. I think around the time you're talking about, the late 90s, it dropped the the and now it's just Disney Channel. Yeah, yeah, but it, yeah. It, it it had this block. I mean, I don't know what it means, but it's something like Zoog, Z O O G, yeah, Zoog yeah. Disney, and and they tried to play it off like there was these robots or something inside your TV that was like doing the programming. So they got rid of like all the Mickey Mouse claymation kind of whatever those things are, teasers, I guess they call them. Yeah. And and uh, they switched it out to these things, and it just felt weird to me. Yeah, there was a time when you wake up on school mornings, you know, you're up at seven or so or whatever, and the Disney Channel was always there with quality programming for your morning while you're eating your Apple Jacks, your Corn Pops. Safe uh, for the whole family. Right, yeah. 
<laughs> back when sugar was okay and everyone had the diabetes. <laughs> and um, they would, I remember if it was early enough, you could watch like classic Disney cartoons like Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck shorts in the morning before they started like the daily programming. And that was always wonderful because you felt like you were up super early seeing something special. But then they started this wonderful litany of programming. Now, for my childhood, that involved um, Adventures in Wonderland, which I remember kicked off when I was in first grade in 1991. I remember that specifically. And I was in love with that show. I mean, I'm still probably kind of in love with that show. I can watch it and still enjoy it today. But not only that, but like Fraggle Rock, Dumbo's Flying Circus, Welcome to Pooh Corner, Under the Umbrella Tree... I'm probably missing some, and people can help me. I'm getting a little twitch in my leg. You're getting me all yeah. excited. Yeah, I just keep on going. I, some of these you got to YouTube just to go back and remember. Uh, Under the Umbrella Tree was one of my favorites, and that's not one that gets a lot of mentioning out there, and even in Disney Channel universe of fandom, but it was good. That's the one with like the the bluebird and the. Yeah, it was like a blue jay and an iguana. Yes, and, this, and, and the lady. Like a- and, but there was a girl puppet too, right? She had like I don't remember red. Anyways, uh, you know the Nickelodeon does this thing at night where they will play '90s cartoons and things like Rocco's Modern Life, Hey Arnold, yeah. Doug, Rugrats. I love it, and I wish Disney Channel would do something similar. Yeah, I'm I'm holding out hope for that streaming service that they'll offer some of this old. That was really amazing. old program uh we should really do a deep dive into adventures in wonderland one day and probably see if we can get some of the actors because i don't think we have anything in these <laughs> yes well honestly i i've mentioned this before i didn't have disney channel growing up so i don't know any of the things you're talking about but <laughs> i would like ever since you've started talking about them i do want to know more about these so a deep dive would be fun i I, if it's part of the streaming service, that will be the first thing I watch is Adventures in Wonderland. Totally, because it is the perfect blend of 90s goodness and Disney. Think of like Saved by the Bell, but in a Disney universe. Because they had that sort of like parachute pants, swishy pants yeah. sort of thing. The Tweedles are rappers and they're 90s rappers. Yeah. The backwards the, silver hats and chains. <laughs> the white rabbit is uh, wearing rollerblades the whole yeah. time. He rollerblades everywhere. Uh, we and, can keep going. The the hair, the March hair, who's just called the hair on this one. He wears, I don't even know what you call this pattern. Just the bright, when you see it, you'll be like, ah, yeah, that's the 90s. <laughs> the Mad Hatter had a mullet. I mean, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's awesome. a purple suit. The whole thing is just <laughs> wonderful. But the the only actor that's actually like familiar to me is the caterpillar. What's his name? Wesley something. He's that actor that talks like this. That's in a lot of sitcoms and things. If you saw him, you'd be like, <laughs> that's oh, pretty good. Yeah. Wait, is he the uh, eye drop guy? No, that's Ben Stein. No, no that's oh. Ben Stein. But th- he's kind of that same sort of character. Uh, but yeah, now of course the the Queen of Hearts has passed away, and we mentioned her a couple of shows ago that she voiced in the Enchanted Tiki Room under new management. May she rest in peace. But the rest of them, I don't think, have done anything. So we should really reach out. Um, Alice, whatever her name is, she went on to do stuff with. Um, we've talked about this, right? Was it Gilmore Girls or or one of those like '90s or early 2000s like? 
teeny bopper dramas in the evenings. I don't remember what which one it was. Huh. I'm not sure. Let me look it up here. But, you know, I was just thinking maybe if uh, Aaron Wallace, I could get under the, the Thinking Fans uh, brand and do the Thinking Fans Guide to Adventures in Wonderland. <gasps> so the girl who played Alice was in quite a few things. She was in CSI, like she played a, um, a guest role. She was in that movie A Single Man by the Coen Brothers, Without a Trace, 90210. I don't see anything about... Now, she was in One Tree Hill. That's the one. For a while. This show probably stuck with me the most, but I think, Jeremy, your f- was Dumbo's Flying Circus your favorite? Oh, absolutely. By the okay. way, Ken Page was on this show as well as... He made appearances as the Wallace. The Wall, excuse me. Right. Um, yeah, it, Dumbo Circus, I don't think that's necessarily made in the 90s. I want to say that was probably made in like the 80s, but it definitely carried into the 90s yeah. along with the Welcome to Pooh Corner. Th- these shows were just so wonderful because it's ca- costumed characters in front of mostly green screens a lot of the time. And, yeah. you know, the voices don't always match up. But, you know, you, you forgave that. And it was just like, it's the same thing with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Like, if they did it nowadays, it would be with all kinds of CGI and all that. They didn't have access to that. so they were. And you know on- what? They didn't try to teach the children. <laughs> That's the problem with children's programming these days. Is they, It's very obvious what you're trying to do. Like, back in this day, I mean, Adventures in Wonderland was educational. Like, there were, you learned vocabulary words, and stuff, but it wasn't, like, overtly. Like, you didn't have pauses, like, which one is the circle? And then somebody picked it for you. You know, you had to actually think through in, like, a critical, abstract thinking kind of way that people just don't know how to do anymore. So God bless the early 90s for training up uh, a, a generation of actual thinkers and problem solvers rather than just answer givers. Well, now, I don't think we can talk about the Disney Channel in the 90s without at least bringing up the all-new Mickey Mouse Club, which brought such stars to our movie screens as Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Ryan Gosling, Justin Timberlake, Carrie Russell. I mean, come on. That's crazy. I did not like this. I turned it off by this time of the day. (laughs) Okay. I was not that cool. But I was going to say, we can't, you can't deny it was super popular. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. It, it, I remember watching this, but I honestly don't remember watching this, if that makes any sense. Like, I don't remember anything specific that stuck out to me that I connected to. Maybe I was like mad, I just wouldn't. Weren't they like me. in like a, like a, like a 50s themed like bar or like a, like a burger joint or something like that? I've never seen it. I don't know. I just have a lot of friends who were big fans. I think that was like, you know, the throwback feel was that they're in this kind of like 50s soda shop, but it was obviously like 90s and they wore like the leather jacket. It was like 50s themed, as I recall, but obviously very modern. I mean, how has no one hosted some sort of reunion special with these kids? I mean, it may be a little awkward for JT and Britney Spears, but like Carrie Russell, Ryan Gosling, even just those two together, like... Have put them on the couch and let them talk. It would be kind of cool to hear some of their stories. Yeah. Yeah. But the show that I loved in the late 90s, because you get things like the famous Jet Jackson, and 
I think these come kind of bleed over into 2000 as well. But things like Even Stevens and Lizzie McGuire, I started kind of going out of Disney Channel at that point. Yeah. But the one show that I was addicted to, Bug Juice. Bug Juice was so good. It was like a reality show before we had reality shows. So the only thing I can compare it to is that they were trying to do a kid's version of the real world. That was <laughs> because it's kids at summer camp. And so you're just like watching them at summer camp, like live their life. But it was so good. And you got so connected to these kids. Remember this. Oh, uh, if I, I have looked and looked and looked, I would love to rewatch these episodes. So if you know where I can find these, maybe on. Uh, you can watch whole episodes, Derek. And I mean, like playlists, hours of episodes of Adventures in Wonderland. On YouTube. But the thing I love the most, too, is the theme song. Uh, Bug juice, it doesn't come in a jar. Bug <laughs> juice comes from who you are. It was so, so good. Okay. Uh, I believe, I mean, I've, <laughs> I've heard good things about Bug Juice. I believe you. It's just, in today's context, that theme song was something else. Uh, let's move on from the Disney Channel, if that's okay. Well, let ha- me say I- one. Let me say one thing about Disney Channel at nighttime before we move on. Uh, Disney Channel at night was also a, a wonderful thing back in the day. I mean, if you remember, uh, we were talking about the the, the Torkelsons. If you remember the Torkelson sitcom, which was Disney's kind of attempt to do like a, a primetime um, family oriented sitcom. I don't remember if it was good. I don't know what critics said about it, but it was charming nonetheless. And to look back at it is very charming. But Disney would play all kinds of wonderful things at night. Um, movies, not even from necessarily Disney movies, like uh, The Brave Little Toaster. I remember watching that all the time on the Disney Channel. Uh, Puff and Stuff, the old 70s groovy psychedelic acid trip uh, puppets and live character things. But uh, the, I remember one they played all the time was The Purple People Eater. Movie from the 80s, I think. They just played all these wonderful things at night. And in between, you'd get little snippets into the park because this was like their main like plugging station for Disney World and the 10th anniversary or the 20th anniversary in 1991 and leading up to the 25th. So they had some really good fun programming at night. Not to mention uh, the original movies that I think Disney Channel had done since 1983 when they started. Yeah, but, so they uh, were called Disney Channel premiere films. And I don't know if they were made by Disney or if they just like or exclusively for the Disney Channel, but they premiered on the Disney Channel. And in the 90s, you had some really good films, two of which I love and I would love to have a copy of if you know where I can get a hold of these because I don't think they're available on DVD. And that is Susie Q and The Paper Brigade. Did you all ever see either of these movies? No. Oh, Susie Q. Susie Q was the <laughs> Power Ranger. I just scared Derek. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Susie Q was the Pink Power Ranger. So whatever her name is, she starred in it. And it starts out in the 50s. And she's like on a date or whatever and is in a car accident and she dies. And so now she's like, I think she's a ghost or something like that. And she reappears like in the 90s. And to a guy or something. Oh, it was so good. And then the Paper Brigade was the boy with the long shaggy hair who was in all the movies in the 90s, like House Arrest. You know who I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Okay, it's him, and he has a paper route, and it's just about like the trials of him delivering papers. But it was very like you know '90s wonderful goodness. But then that leads into Disney Channel original movies, which premiered in 1997. And the first one is my favorite, which I've raved about on this show before, and that is Under Wraps, which is a great movie. Love it. Halloween themed. But also in the 90s, you're getting movies like Brink, uh, Xenon, Girl of the 21st Century, The 13th Year, Smart House, Johnny Tsunami, Can of Worms, Horse Sense. But probably the one that everybody loves the most from the 90s would be Halloween Town. Yeah. Yes. In fact, when I went back and watched like 10 or so decoms that you recommended when Disney Channel had their big marathon last year, of all the ones I watched, Halloween Town was my favorite. And I think the 2000s was when the Disney Channel original movies really kicked off. And I mean, I'm looking at this list and there are like 10 or 12 every year between 2000 and probably 2006 is when they started to slow down a little bit. So that's when they were most popular. But I think it is worth noting that this whole trend kicked off in the late 90s of putting out these original movies that for kids of a certain age were like, might as well be on the big screen, you know? Yeah, yeah you were kind of there in the 2000s getting like one a month. Like I can remember it was always a big lead up to the premiere for that month. And this is kind of the forerunner to like... Uh, Hallmark Channel movies nowadays. <laughs> a little bit. Badly. Yeah. yeah I, can I make a plug one for one more random movie that Disney showed? Uh, Disney Channel. And it, and it came on quite often. And somewhere on an unmarked VHS tape in, in my home, this exists from where we recorded it. Um, I don't know. It's from 1983. And it's an animated film called The Dragon That Wasn't. And then parentheses, or was he? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like made by a, a Polish uh, animation studio or something. But I, I don't know why I loved this so much as a kid. But when you see it, I mean, if you watch Disney Channel as a child, you're going to be like, oh, my word. Like something in my subconscious remembers this. It's it's kind of a fun little movie with fun characters. And decent, like, animated movie music for an 80s film from some animation studio in Poland. Now, I remember a lot of my friends talking about the Katherine Heigl movie, Wish Upon a Star. Where, like, they switched lives or something? Does this sound familiar? I don't, I don't, I don't remember any of these, to be honest with you. No, not to me. Like, it, they were sisters, and they wished on a star, I guess, and so they switched bodies. And it starred Katherine Heigl from Grey's Anatomy. But... What an original concept for a movie. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, speaking of movies, let's move on from Disney Channel and move over to ABC, which was and is owned by Disney. And let's talk about some of the stuff that was popular in the 90s over there. And the first thing I think of is the wonderful world of Disney. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about the Sherman Brothers and how they wrote the original theme song for the wonderful world of color. But in the 90s, they kind of rebooted the series in a sense. And I can still picture the intro that played. And then Michael Eisner, most of the time, would come on and he might be with one of the characters from the parks, and he would introduce the film you're about to see. Now, a lot of the times they just play like Aladdin or something like that. But for a brief period, almost every week, they were putting out 
original movies. And the ones that stick out the, to me the most are the Annie remake. And it had like Victor Garber, Audra McDonald, Kristen Chenoweth, Alan Cummings, like a really great cast. They also did The Tower of Terror. Oh, I love The Tower of Terror. <laughs> Steve Gutenberg, Kirsten Dunst. And they also did The Cinderella that stars Brandy, Whoopi Goldberg, Jason Alexander, uh, Whitney Houston. I mean, great cast. And honestly, a movie that I think holds up. Uh, those are the three that stick out to me the most. Do you guys remember any original movies from this time? Just The Tower of Terror sticks out to me as as, as one. I, the other two I don't really remember so much. I remember Cinderella. I, I, I didn't watch it. I remember the intro to this, and I remember a lot of this, the in-between things when, when, if I'm not incorrect, they would, Michael Eisner would talk about something, and they would have commercials for the Disney parks and such. I like that aspect of it. Did you like Tower of Terror? Yeah, I did then. I did too. I'm kind of afraid to watch it now. Because I, I was kind of obsessed with the Tower of Terror, right. and... That was in a time when I didn't understand that it was not a, an actual episode of The Twilight Zone. And so f- having this original movie that kind of filled in the blank for me was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one film that I specifically remember from this time was Super Fudge. And I remember it because I read the book around the same time as well. And I have looked and looked and looked and looked and cannot find any trace of this ever anywhere so if you know where any you know sort of youtube whatever of super fudge is at let me know i i know it happened i i know it happened (laughs) it was a real thing (laughs) but uh yeah i I love that book as a kid um every saturday morning on on abc for a long time a disney uh played a lot of cartoons and animated things, but there was a concerted effort in the mid nineties to, I guess, get kind of garner a new audience and maybe a little bit older, more mature audience. Uh, I think early in the morning, they still played some kitty kind of stuff, but then they, they did this thing for a while called the uh, Disney's one Saturday morning, which I, I remember the theme song and it was just like, yeah, it's time for one Saturday morning. And <laughs> Think of shows like Recess, um, Pepper Ann, good lord, before I read that name, it's just like that all came back to me, Pepper Ann. And when Disney did, uh, got the, whatever you call it, the rights, I guess, to Doug, uh, he was part of this whole thing. Um, I loved Recess. I don't remember the other, I don't remember liking the other two. In fact, I think I liked Doug less with Disney than I did when he was with Nickelodeon. But Recess, I did. I I watched that religiously. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing the Recess movie in the theaters. Yeah, the movie. I forgot. Yeah, it was a great show with the Ashleys, uh, Gus. Mm. And I think I was excited because, like I said, I didn't have Disney Channel. So I felt like I was finally having (laughs) Disney-quality content yeah, that I could watch in its first run at the same time as everyone else on Saturday mornings. It was exciting. Early on in uh, in the '90s, a little earlier than one Saturday morning, I remember this might be late '80s, but I'm pretty sure it would have overlapped because I was like four or five around this time. So that's '89, '90, '91. 
Um, the Mini Adventures of Winnie the Pooh was was part of that Saturday morning lineup. And it was always immediately followed by Slimer and the real Ghostbusters, which is to, is not Disney, but it was on it was on ABC with with the Mini Adventures of Winnie the Pooh or the New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. New Adventures, yes. Yeah. What I say? Not many. New. The New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which all of that stuff is just when you hear the songs and you see the stuff, you're just transported back to childhood immediately. Yeah, I loved the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh. That was that was uh, scheduled TV. I mean, this is the day and age of we didn't have DVRs, and if you wanted to record something, you had to put the VHS in and hit record. And we would do that too. And then you'd like stop it during the commercials and then restart it. You know, yeah. so we fit more. Uh-huh. On. So I had my Full House tape. I had my Saved by the Bell tape. You know, my Winnie the Pooh tape. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, oh my gosh. They need to release that too, hopefully on that streaming, whatever. Service. Well, again, you can watch hours worth of playlists. I'm not going to say the quality is the greatest on all of them, but hours worth of playlists on YouTube of the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which I have done. Uh, one thing that I just remember and love being on ABC was the Disney Afternoon which uh, started perfectly when school let out and you were able to get home. And the thing I remember the most is that wonderful theme song that mm-hmm. kind of produced the block, uh, which I think was on one of my playlists. There's you know, so much to do. Getting ready just, just for, you. for you. Yes. Uh, and in fact, you need to YouTube that if you've never seen the intro for that, because it is pure Disney 90s goodness. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you had shows like DuckTales, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, Darkwing Duck, uh, Tailspin, Tailspin, Gummy Bears, yeah, and then and then later on it kind of evolved. You got shows like uh, Gargoyles, Bonkers, Bonkers <laughs> which I was love a complete Bonkers. ripoff of uh, Roger Rabbit. Uh, yeah, but it was so good. <laughs> so you know these were these were good quality. And right like, after Disney Afternoon. Was uh, I remember Dinosaurs was on. They would play play reruns of that some uh, after it, but it went into a whole another block of the of just sitcoms like reruns of Full House and Family Matters, Step by Step. So that was always fun too. Yeah, of all the things we've talked about so far, uh, like we've talked about a lot of things that we might have really enjoyed as kids, but I feel like this is the first one, Disney Afternoon, that seems to be super popular with people even today. That's why they rebooted DuckTales. That's why Disney Afternoon still gets printed on t-shirts everywhere I go. I feel like wherever there's a Disney t-shirt, there's going to be something about Darkwing Duck or Mm -hmm. DuckTales or something. Um, There's that that new Donald Duck show that's about to debut at Animal Kingdom. And we read recently that it's going to include Launchpad McQuack and Scrooge McDuck. Like, people still demand... Disney afternoon things. Well, and I don't want to get too much into like the psychology and all that behind this, but when you think about it in the nineties, Disney really raised a generation. Like there was programming available 24 seven as we're discovering, you know, you woke up in the morning, you turned on Disney channel, you got home, you had the Disney afternoon, you had the evening block, you had the movies, you had this, you had that. So we were constantly being fed a stream of these things. So they, are such a cornerstone of our childhood that anytime you want to bring them out, 
you have to do it with gloved hands because we're very protective of our Darkwing Duck. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but you want to get us, you want our money and you want our feels, you know how you to get the it. the feels. <laughs> <laughs> well, staying on the topic of ABC and talking about the, talking about the 90s, let's talk about a time when apparently people did not go out like they do nowadays, and you have to put reruns or crappy shows on Fridays. But apparently people, like me, stayed at home and wanted to be given new content on a block of shows called TGIF. It's Friday night, Friday night, and the moon is bright. Gonna have some fun, show you how it's done, TGIF. Oh my goodness, that brings me back. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, you can look at the beginning of of TJF and you had things like Perfect Strangers, which I don't necessarily remember watching. To me, TJF is Full House, Family Matters, Hang with Mr. Cooper, Step by Step, Dinosaur, Muppets Tonight. Boy Meets World. Boy Meets World and Hang Out with Mr. Cooper. The other shows I could see different times, but those two shows, especially Hang Out with Mr. Cooper, was like, I got to get home to see that. Oh my gosh. And shout out to Hulu, which is kind of, again, tapping into this nostalgia. And a lot of those shows are available right now on Hulu. Yeah. Uh, it's so funny that you said Muppets Tonight because that was always one of my favorites, but no one ever talks about Muppets Tonight. Well, it only lasted like a season or two. Yeah. Um, but Typical man, Muppets was, fashion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I remember it was Clifford because it wasn't hosted by Kermit, you know, so they had. Clifford, who was voiced by uh, what's his name, who did Elmo as well, by the way. Um, so it had a different feel because you didn't have your, I mean, they still popped in from time to time, but you didn't really have your classic Muppets characters um, Pepe played a huge part in this, didn't he? The, the, yeah. sh- the shrimp prawn, that's, whatever he is. I think that's kind of when he debuted is, is on yeah. this show. Um, so I loved Muppets Tonight. Loved, loved, loved it. For me, Sabrina the Teenage Witch was also a must-watch. Oh, yes. yes. Our dear friend Marshall, he just binge-watched uh, Sabrina <laughs> and he read about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, TGIF really was like must-watch viewing for me. Like We watched other shows during the week, like Home Improvement and things like that. But for me, it was... I would get home from school and would just be giddy. Like, oh my gosh, it's Friday night and TGIF is on. That's four shows in a row that I love. I also remember, you know, it was the block, at least in in the the Midwest where I grew up, the block was on from seven to nine. And then at nine o'clock, like 2020 came on. Yeah, it's like, now for old people. (laughs) (laughs) I just remember, like, if you, like, once 2020 came on, I'm like, it is so late. Of course, looking back on it, I'm like, it's nine o'clock. It's not that late. But it just felt like your night was over at that point. Time to go to bed because I got to be up early in the morning for the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) Yeah. We typically went out for dinner on Friday night, but I would always make sure to have a, a a tape recording this but i felt extra special when i like my parents would go out and leave me with a babysitter or something and we got to order pizza and watch tgif (laughs) (laughs) it's like (laughs) yes and the the good the fun thing also was that this had such a connection to the parks like first of all you would see promos during the commercials for the parks but i think every single one of these shows at one point went to walt disney world boy meets world full house Step by Step, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, like all these things. Unfortunately, Mr. Cooper and his family never went to the parks, but... They was Pope. But those were always the best, yeah, those were always the best episodes. 
Um, I also remember talking about promos for the parks. Do you remember the the cut-ins they did around 1998 when Animal Kingdom was opening up during TGIF? And uh, they might have even done a longer special as well, a whole 30-minute block. But I remember seeing Drew Carey in the Dino Dig area. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sabrina went to Animal Kingdom in its opening year. That was like the whole episode, basically. It's funny how little things like that stick out. All right, well, we're going to move away from ABC now, and we're going to talk about some home video adventures. One thing I remember very vividly from the 90s was the Disney sing-along song VHS I had called Friend Like Me. And I wanted to talk about the sing-along songs because I thought there were probably at least three or four. Oh, no. I looked on Wikipedia. There are like 35 of these things. <laughs> yeah. Why did my family only have one? <sighs> my family, we never owned these, but I remember these very clearly from music class in elementary school. Yeah. So sometimes we would go into music, and if you saw that TV on that big cart, roll girl. <laughs> And you knew we were singing Disney that day. <laughs> yeah, I only had one, and it was uh, the Disneyland, the Disneyland Fun, and I wore that thing out. But um, that there, no, I had two. I remember finding these and looking on the back for the songs that were included was always like a thing. And the only reason I bought the other one was because it had Laughing Place on it with like actual footage from Song of the South. And I was like, oh my word. Like that was like gold to me in the late 90s. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because my tape had How Do You Do on there. Okay. And I remember because I watched the VHS so many times, I knew the song, but every time I watched it, I'm like, what the crap is this? What like, is what, this? <laughs> this isn't Disney. And there was also a Little Mermaid song and it was called In Harmony. And it never occurred to me that like, this isn't in Little Mermaid. But recently I looked it up, and it's because it was from the Little Mermaid cartoon. Yeah, but... the TV show. Shoot! Oh my gosh, Why? how do we miss that? There's just two things. Throwback to the TV. The Aladdin animated series and the Little Mermaid animated series were both... Uh, the Aladdin one was better, and I remember watching it longer, but I liked both of them. Yeah, but this song was from that, and I knew it by heart because of the sing-along, but I probably had never even seen that episode of Little Mermaid. If I can just piggyback off what Matt said real quick, these these are you know into the two thousands, but Disney did that a lot of making TV series based off animated shows, and The Emperor's New School is <laughs> gold. They need to release that. But yeah, these uh, sing-alongs. I, who was the owl? Remember the owl would always introduce them at first. Professor Owl. That was his name. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Gotcha. He was wonderful. And, uh, yeah, these are just, like, uh, I've always loved um, collaborations. Is that when there's several things together at one time? Compilations? Compilations. That's even better. But something about just, like, the way that you had all these different Disney characters all kind of in one setting was wonderful. It was just yeah. wonderful. Listen, it, take all 35 of these, smack them on a couple of Blu-rays, and sell it for 50 bucks, and I will buy the first copy. They should do screenings of these at the AMC in Disney Springs. <laughs> Everybody's singing along. Yeah, that, they would too. That, that thing at Epcot, that, that, that shorts. Yeah. 
put these in there and have a sing-along. That would be amazing. I'd love fun. that. But then in Harmony from Little Mermaid, the cartoon comes up, and everybody's like, what? Uh, what? Just follow the bouncing Mickey head. That's, That's right. Do. <laughs> I can't hear you. <laughs> oh, my. While we're on the, I mean, good Lord. This, this is just a list of good things. Before there was podcasts, before there were podcasts, before there were Disney blogs, at least ones that people read about the parks, there was the Disney Adventures magazine. And I might put alongside of this just the Disney magazine, which was for just I mean, like adults and older people. But the Disney Adventures magazine was like a little Reader's Digest um, oh size. God. It totally was. Yeah, uh, magazine for kids and like teens, and it had it had thing. I just remember one specific cover had the little the little pink gummy bear on the front, whatever that one's name was, and then they had a gargoyle issue that I liked because I was obsessed with gargoyles for a while. But I read them cover to cover. Uh, my grandmother got me a subscription to this, and every month when that new magazine hit, I mean, I tore it apart. And in fact, so much that this has such a, a special place in my heart that a few years ago, I found somebody selling like a hundred copies of these on eBay for like 10 bucks and I bought them. And oh, yeah. so I have them somewhere. But the thing I loved about this, you talk about the covers, they always had like a popular celebrity with a Disney character on yeah. the cover. So you had like the one I'm, I, I remember like Joey Lawrence with a boo. And then you had um, Michael Jackson with Pinocchio. The very first cover was Baloo with Rick Moranis in 1990. Ah, there mm. you go. Shout out Jeff DePauly. Uh So <laughs> yeah, this magazine, I mean, this was the jam. I mean, if you were a kid in the 90s, you at least, even if you didn't have a subscription or you, you know, whatever, your parents wouldn't buy it for you. When you went to the supermarket, yep. it was for sale right there by the yeah. register. And you picked that thing up and you breezed through it. So you knew what was happening because you had to be connected. And they had, uh, I remember, like, uh, you know, comic strips in them uh, featuring different shows and characters. But they would come with sheets of temporary tattoos. I mean, <laughs> the, like the, the, the Hallmark 90s, like thing you did that your parents hated was the t- the temporary tattoos well and remember the big rumor was that people were lacing those temporary tattoos with lsd oh of course <laughs> oh yes gosh. i'm like no one is wasting their lsd on kids with <laughs> yeah tattoos. yeah just throwing it away yeah there were always there was always a section devoted to what's going on at the parks there was always a section about movies and tv shows and gosh this thing was like perfect for me and the same was true of the Disney magazine. I mean, it's hard for us to imagine a day without constant access to every kind of information that we want. But these kind of things were how Disney communicated about movies and TV shows and their parks. I mean, it was the primary way, aside from the TV shows and, and the, the channels. This was the print medium. Yeah. Well, the magazines weren't the only things we were buying. I know for me personally, I was buying just about every VHS release mm-hmm. that Disney put out. Because, you know, the vault has always been a thing for Disney. 
We're re- we're releasing you know Peter Pan on VHS, and oh my goodness, kind of like Jeremy mentioned at the top of the top of the show, like this was really the first time home video was an option, and you didn't have to wait for Disney to re-release Bambi in the theaters. No, you could buy it and watch it whenever you wanted. And of course, they came in those signature. They're so familiar to us now. Those big old plastic cases. Yeah, that, that will cut you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they take up so much room in your TV stand. But they opened like a book and it was magic. Well, they, they were so iconic. I don't know if you guys remember this. And we're going to talk about Happy Meal toys here in a minute. But do you remember that at one point McDonald's gave Happy Meal toys out and they came in the boxes that looked like the movie boxes? No way. Yeah, I remember, so like it was like a Snow White, and then you opened up the Snow White box, and inside was the Snow White toy. Uh, but anyways, yeah, these films, um, it's interesting when you kind of go back and look at, uh, in the 80s, um, I forget who it was, maybe it was Frank Wells or somebody, when, when home releases were starting to be released. And the first Disney movie to really be released on VHS, anybody know? Snow White. Nope. Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Uh, I probably and he was asked, well, will they be opening up the vault and will there be access? And he's like, no, 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 we're not opening up the vault. In fact, we'll probably only release Peter Pan and maybe a couple others, but no way are we opening up our vault <laughs> to have home access to it. Blah, blah, blah. And now look at it now, you know, kind of thing. You know, it's funny that once they got in the groove of this in the 90s, like I remember uh, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Little Mermaid, Snow White, um, Lion King, Snow White sticks out in my mind as one that we ordered ahead of time. And these uh, Disney animated movies would come out in theaters in like June. And then typically you'd have to wait till at least Christmas to get it. And that was only if you did the pre-order thing. We always, this is so bizarre to think about. We did our pre-ordering through Belk, like the clothing department store. And so uh, like I just knew like... And it was through the Disney magazine. Like you could take the order in and fill out the subscription, all this stuff. And you would get like a reserved first copy of the VHS. And it would always come close to Christmas. And I knew I was always getting like that year's animated film. And then they did the same thing with Snow White. And it would always come like a lift, like a lithograph thing too. Like a little uh, print of something from the movie. Nice. Well, I don't want to admit to any um, criminal activity on this show, but I'm sure I wasn't the only family that did this. So we didn't get every Disney movie, obviously. So what you would do was give like a blank tape to somebody who had movies that you didn't own, and they would record their Disney movie onto the blank tape. Shame. So we, <laughs> we had uh, we had several of these, but the one I remember we always watched had three movies because you could fit about three of them on one yeah, tape. Yeah, could. <laughs> so we started. It was like 101 Dalmatians, Pinocchio, and Little Mermaid all on one VHS. Wow, that's a solid tape right there. That's called a good afternoon. <laughs> but then you have to rewind it, which takes like 10 minutes. If you, But we owned one of those little uh, separate rewinder things, too. Did you all have one of those? And then it would pop up when it was done? Yeah, that's Cause, right. Because that yeah. was supposed to be better for your VCR, supposedly. Yes. Well, and you had to do that crap before you took it back to Blockbuster. Yeah. <laughs> so you had to put it in the rewinder while you were rewinding the other one in the VHS, your VCR. <laughs> Be kind, please rewind. That's it. Of course. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about this now, and you you know, you go to Target, 
and there's that whole stand of like all the new Star Wars DVDs. You could fit like a third of the amount of VHS yeah. in one of those things because it took up so much room. If I had to stock the shelves, I'd be like, ah, more Disney VHS tapes. Not that I would buy this because I think it's more targeted toward to, to girls. It seems girly. But have you seen the journals at, at, at Disney World that look like the VHS cases? Like the D1s from the 90s. I think that is genius. Yeah. I think it's genius. I just wish they didn't cost like eighteen dollars. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. true. That's true. You pay for the memories. That's right. That's right. You know, the, the kids today will never understand the excitement though of going to Blockbuster or going to your wherever you rented videos. We we had uh, a video rental place in our grocery store, and so when my mom would go grocery that's shopping, cool. we we would go in there and pick out our movies and wait for her to check out. We had a place in our hometown that was a uh, uh, did pizza, and they had suntan stuff, like a tanning salon and a video rental store. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's not get any more '90s than tanning beds, like hungry <laughs> howies, and some VHS tapes. Yeah, someone tweeted the other day. Uh, my kids will never know the disappointment of lifting up the VHS and realizing there's not a second one behind it at the rental store. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the display case. All right, well, Jeremy, you mentioned it. Let's talk about it. The fact that McDonald's and Disney were so connected in the 90s. Yeah, you know, uh, they they were connected for so long, and then they broke ties in their early 2000s, mid-2000s, when that uh, Super Size Me documentary kind of came out and ruined the reputation of McDonald's. But I just saw they have recently signed another deal. There's going to be Disney toys and McDonald's Happy Meals coming soon again. So Because they got apple slices now. You can get apple slices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I remember going to McDonald's and, you know, the Happy Meals toys were one thing. Like you could get Aladdin toys or Beauty and the Beast toys in your Happy Meals. So that was one thing. But McDonald's always seemed to also have those things where if you just pay $3, like I have some of those really thick glasses, drinking glasses that were, I mean, they're as big around as a softball. And they had, I think it was for the 25th anniversary. I think I have all of them. I We did too. We had all, I think there were four of them. And they have like the castle and spaceship Earth and all these things on the outside of the glass. And they're, I mean, they're solid. Those things are not going to yeah. break, you know. Uh, but yeah, they also sold like cassette tapes, all sorts, all sorts of things that were Disney related that you could pay just a bit extra for at McDonald's. I was not a Parks fan at the time, but I remember too that McDonald's did a series of Happy Meal toys that were themed to the countries and world showcases. Yes, and they were fabulous. And it was the Fab Five characters dressed up. In fact, if you look on eBay, there's people that sell complete sets of Happy Meal toys for relatively cheap prices. I need to buy these before they disappear because yeah. uh, they, these are gold. Because I, I, I remember I had like the Daisy in, in I forget, she was like Norwegian costuming or something like that, which as a kid, I was like, this is Daisy Duck. Why is she wearing this? But now <laughs> looking back, I'm like, oh, wow, those are that's genius. Totally genius. Yeah. I have, I don't have them. I had, I wish, you know, looking back, like, why did you not keep these things? Um, some of the Jungle Book toys, when they released the Jungle Book on 
VHS and McDonald's did a, a promo and they had like a little sheer con. There was like a little plastic thing, you know, the kind you pull back and then they go. Uh, they had. Oh my goodness. I think I had that. Isn't that crazy? They got they had that one. They had like Baloo with Mowgli on oh. his uh, belly. Yes. And he had like the little twisty thing on his back where you cranked him up. Yeah. And then they had Ka. Crank him up. <laughs> yeah. It was the little white, twisty yes, wind-up. and it would make, like, the mechanical sound. Yeah, they had Ka, and I want to say they had a King Louie that did, like, things with his, his arms went, like, in circles around his body. And, like, he would, like, hop over his hands. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> well, and that's not even to mention the, the stuff you could find in the parks. Like, people still talk about that dumb French fry cart that was in Frontierland. I think it was called Westward Ho!, and it was a cart that just sold McDonald's french fries. That's all it did. Can you imagine if they did that now, how much McDonald's french fries would cost in Frontierland? You're about six bucks for a large. It's a good call. Yeah. Um, also, I know we're on a McDonald's kick here, but I specifically remember when Toy Story came out that those toys were featured at Burger King. <gasps> So I don't know if Pixar had a separate deal than uh, McDonald's. You know, they probably did, yeah, because they weren't owned by Disney. Yeah, but you had you had Pixar toys in the Happy Meal or Kids Meal, whatever they call them, and then they sold, I want to say it was a set of four, because it was definitely a Woody, a Buzz, Rex, and Ham, and they were puppets. And it was like the little, for $4 extra, you could buy these. In fact, I think I still have the Woody somewhere. Um because you put it like he had like back pockets and that's where you slid your fingers down. You can move his legs. I see. But he, he looked like more the size of Woody in the in the movie. So, huh. yeah, I mean, obviously, we Jeremy and I weren't going to the parks at this time, but I have heard many stories like, you know, McDonald's was the original sponsor of Countdown to Extinction, now known as Dinosaur. Uh, there were, I think there was like a McDonald's location in Disney Village or whatever it was called at the time. You know, when people just didn't care, like if you want apple slices and yogurt, eat that at your house. If you want an unhealthy cheeseburger and fries, go to McDonald's. I, I, I don't know. that. I remember the posters for the McDonald's things outside of Countdown to Extinction. Yeah. Like as you exited going down towards the uh, Chester and Hester's. They had the three posters of, like, dinosaurs eating fries. It's like, is your appetite something? It was a pun. Play on words with something dinosaur. Uh, Well, since we started talking about the parks, let's transition there for a little bit. Let's talk about some of the promos that were big in the 90s. Or, Or also, I guess looped into this is the fact that you could get those VHS tape planning, vacation planning mm. videos. Are there any th- anything in this category that stands out to you from the 90s? Oh my gosh. I lived for the yearly vacation planning videos. We went at least once a year and that was with my family or with my, my 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 immediate family, mom and dad or my uncles and aunts and stuff like that. But we always would order the free. It was free, you know, the free vacation planning. Uh, that's a DVD uh, VHS tape. And it's like 25 minutes, just an overview of the parks, you know, interviewing people, just like little snippets of interviews about rides or attractions. I mean, it was just like boom, boom, boom. Magic Kingdom, Epcot, MGM or whatever. Uh, later, Animal Kingdom and the water parks. Um, 
but these were great. And typically they had like a different theme song for every year. And I remember specifically the one year when they were advertising for the cruise line that was about to launch, maybe 96 or 97. And at the end of that vacation planning uh, tape was a little advertisement for the cruise ship. And it had its own little theme song. I just thought was the best thing ever. Something about sailing, sailing across the sea or something. But these were great. I love these. I still have some. I wish I had a, v- a VCR to watch them with. Oh, man. I wish I had had those in the 90s because I couldn't get to the parks. So that would have been like a little taste of it at home. You can watch them on the YouTube. I've seen many well, of them on there. It's, it's not as special to me now because I can go to the parks. Oh, well, I thought nostalgia for you now. It, it's worth watching. No. I don't think you probably would have connected with them because my problem was since I wasn't going to the parks and I knew I didn't have an opportunity to go to the parks. I felt very disconnected from the parks. Like it just didn't interest me in a sense of, I knew I wasn't going, so I wasn't going <laughs> to get wrapped up in it. Well, you say that, but I remember, and I don't know why we did this, but our teacher one day in fourth grade rolled in a TV and it, maybe it was one of these vacation VHS. Now that you describe them, uh, but she showed us, it was like this 10 minute thing. And I remember alien encounter was mm. part of it. Tower of Terror was part of it. And I remember just wanting to borrow the VHS and watch it all the time because I'm <laughs> like, that place looks amazing. I have to go there. Little did did little Derek know back then <laughs> how <Yeah. laughs> much life would be influenced. Um, yeah, I do remember the Not a Zoo campaign that was happening with Animal Kingdom when, you know, that was, of course, like the late 90s uh, when they were trying to push that uh, on TV with commercials and things. And again, because I had no frame of reference, really, I was like, what are they, what are they talking about? You know, but now yeah. I look back and I'm like, that was brilliant. Yeah, there's a commercial that I had in my mind when we were talking about doing this episode. So I looked it up and it was super easy to find and it brought back all the memories. But there's a specific commercial I remember from this time period where the brothers are carrying the suitcase up the stairs, like they're dragging it up the stairs, and the older brother is explaining to to the younger brother what to expect when they go to Disney. And he's, like, giving them tips. And I looked at, like, some of the quotes. Yeah, do you remember this? Some of the quotes he says, don't eat right before you go on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. And then the last tip he gives is, Goofy is huge. I know he's only this big on TV, but in real life... Goofy could beat up Dad, and the younger brother's eyes get real big, and then they throw a bunch of clothes in the suitcase, and he sits on it, and he says something like, "Only three weeks away," or, or something like that. Yeah, that I mean, that was oh, good, good grief. I have like I like have like four or five. Yeah, well, I mean, nowadays the commercials are like some woman voice saying, "The magic of Disney," and then you see the kids, but the kids don't say anything. But back in the day, it was like, there there was that one where the girl meets all the characters and then she gets all sad and she's like, I didn't get to see the one person I wanted to see. And then like, she looks up and Mickey's standing there. Yeah. Something like that. You're like, girl, you should have got a fast pass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and waited 20 minutes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, that one with the kids, that sounds familiar to me. And I don't know if it's from the 90s, but do you remember the one where they're like, I can't sleep, I'm too excited, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, the end is the dad's doing the same thing in bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't mm-hmm. see. Oh, good times. Good times, indeed. 
Well, speaking of the parks, though, there was also every year in the 90s, there seemed to be yearly offerings that were very different, specifically at Hollywood Studios. Also, daytime parades that celebrated the openings of the different animated uh, movies, which we don't get a lot of that anymore now. It seems very disconnected to have the uh, movies in, in the parks. They're, they're usually playing catch-up, uh, case in point being frozen. But in the 90s, they were very proactive about those things. So before you ever saw Hercules, you were going to see a Hercules parade. Yeah, I mean, uh, MGM Studios opened in 89. So this whole decade, like this park was constantly getting new things. And I think it's funny to talk about this now just because that's so not what's happening today. I mean, we're about to get Star Wars Land and Toy Story Land. That's great. But during this decade, like you said, every year that they had that Muppet show, that live show with like the life size as tall as you are Kermit and Miss Piggy. They had the Dick the Dick Tracy show. You could see the Power Rangers show and the Ninja uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like I feel like every year they would get rid of something and then add something new. And these parades are a great example of that. I still remember pictures of that Mulan parade, which looked really cool. And the Aladdin parade, which is featured, one of the floats is featured in that Full House episode where they go and she wishes with the lamp. You know that giant genie was part of this Aladdin caravan. And nowadays, I mean. Half the stuff that's there has been there since the 90s. Remember, we got um, some pre-parades at the Magic Kingdom, you know, that it was like one or two floats with characters of upcoming movies. But yeah, this was full-on parades. And let's just talk about these shows for a minute, because it's quite the eclectic mix, and it's fascinating to me. And I've actually YouTubed some of these because I didn't believe they really existed. But a lot of these shows didn't take place in a theater. They just took place on the streets of New York and that kind of thing on the back lot of uh, MGM Studios at the time. The one in particular that I was fascinated by was the Ace Ventura show because he like comes down from the top of the building on like a, a like a zip line looking thing and it's full on all righty then, you know, Jim Carrey-esque. <laughs> Matt, do you remember these these kind of weird shows that took place? Uh yeah, I remember I don't remember the Ace Ventura one. I remember, um, and I remember the random Power Rangers one, but I don't remember if that was 2000s or 90s. And the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one was it? A lot of strange things took place back there in that uh, little backlot, central square kind of place. Yeah, but this it, it just seemed to be the decade where Disney didn't mind experimenting a little bit. Like, let's see yeah. what sticks. You know, let's try it. Why not? I feel like there was a Disney afternoon show, wasn't there? There, there was, was a Disney afternoon parade, and there was a show, but I thought it was in Starland, Mickey's Starland. Yeah, oh, okay. Magic. Oh, we'll get to that then. But yeah, MGM Studios, this was like its heyday for sure. Yeah. Well, and, I, and like you said, they 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 weren't afraid to experiment with, with stuff that it didn't have to prove that it was a hit first before they were going to incorporate it in the parks. Um, I can't imagine today them doing anything remotely close to this because they've had some failures. I mean, if, if we were to take this mindset and apply it to, let's just say, like five years ago, can you imagine them having some kind of Lone Ranger show before Lone Ranger opened? Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, and then they would just scrap it because it failed or whatever, you know? Yeah. Or like a good dinosaur parade, you know, the summer <laughs> before that came out. 
had they done that, the, the movie might have made some money. You never know. <laughs> Maybe. Interesting. Well, Matt alluded to it already, but uh, in the 90s was also a special time because we got a new land added to the Magic Kingdom. And that it started out as Mickey's birthday land, correct? And then yeah. it evolved into Mickey's star land. That's when it became a land. Yeah. Yeah. Which evolved even more into uh, the Toontown Fair, which evolved into... Uh, being flattened and making way for <laughs> Fantasyland expansion. No, it's st- Storybook Circus. Everything is still there. Yeah, but it, it, it's not a land anymore. No, but the, all those tents, everything is is the structure from freaking those tents have been there since Birthday Land. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, see, I didn't realize that this started as Birthday Land because it was Mickey's 60th birthday. And the whole thing in 1988 was supposed to be like this temporary celebration. So every show, every attraction was like all about Mickey. We love you, Mickey. Happy birthday, Mickey. And it became so popular that that's when they brought in the Disney Afternoon characters and other quote unquote Disney celebrities like Roger Rabbit at the time. And they turned (laughs) it into Starland. And yeah, it was a big hit. Let me tell you, that Disney Afternoon show is worth YouTubing if you have not ever seen it. Mm. Simply for the fact that you're getting walk around character size uh, gummy bears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. And and my argument is those costumes don't tell me they're not still backstage somewhere and can't come out. You know, dust the dirt off of them and bring me out some gummy bears. You'll I do it lose, now. Lose my mind. You know, when we saw Toontown Fair for the first time in 2007, I remember it basically having like a very 90s feel to it. Uh, did Mickey's... Uh, I had to go back and look in like the, the history. They did Mickey and Minnie's house with with Birthdayland or Starland? I mean, it was def- they were definitely there before it became Toontown Fair. Well, Birthday Land, or um, I'd have to, I'd be curious to know if it's, it was birth. Surely it was. Like, go meet Mickey. I don't know. But Toontown Fair was what, 96, I think? 95, mm-hmm. 96? 96, yeah. And I didn't realize that the story of Toontown Fair was that it was the vacation home for the characters who actually lived in Toontown in Disneyland. There you go. Oh, I never got that either, but that's... So they they wanted to come and farm stuff on their vacation. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. Their holiday home. Yeah. Yeah, Donald Duck's boat was there. There was a petting farm for a while. Before it became Toontown Fair, you could pet animals. Mm, That's a bit of a stretch. Uh, If you also remember, in a lot of these TGIF shows, they're, they're in... Toontown or wherever it is called at the at that time, and you see a lot of structures that did not last. Uh, specifically, like a bank. I remember seeing a bank, but these are like facades. They weren't full on houses that you could go into, but they were miniature. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I seem to remember a scene where the twins in Full House are like running around. Was that Toontown? Yep, yep. Uh, and and also uh, in Roseanne, when I and when Roseanne goes there, there's a scene where the grandmother and the children are in front of one of these homes. And if you want to hear more about that Roseanne episode, check out Disney Coast to Coast with yours truly mm-hmm. and Jeff Capaldi. 
Okay, well, we've talked about this before, but it is important to at least mention the 25th anniversary of Walt Disney World. It took place during this decade. I don't remember what episode number. I'm so sorry. But we did a whole episode, a Countdown to Park Extinction episode, where we talked about everything that was introduced for the 25th anniversary. But it was certainly a, a hot topic during this decade. This is when the cake was transformed into a castle. This was... Or- the castle was transformed into a cake. One of the two. <laughs> that is what I meant. Uh, there was the Remember the Magic celebration with a new song and a new parade. And this was the talk of the town in 96. It, this was, um, we took a big old family trip this year. And, you know, looking back on it, I guess people could have been ticked about the castle. Uh, I, but in that day, you didn't have all the... You didn't have all the outlets for complaining about stuff, so nobody really did. Uh, unless they went to guest services, and who has time for that? So uh, it, I, we didn't think twice about it. I thought it was kind of cool. Looking back on it, I wish I could remember, like, taking more pictures and things of it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely wish they would do it again just so I could see it in person. Yeah. But never gonna happen. Never. No. 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 And and I could I can see why people call it tacky. But I also see your point of view, Matt. Um, I, they did that. Like, holy cow, how did they do that? You know? Yeah. And, I mean, just the theme song in itself. Like, what was I? I was, I was 11. 11 and 12 uh, through the course of that, that celebration. And that was, like, when, I mean, I think I had always loved going. But that's when it, like, snapped for me. Clicked. Not snapped. I didn't snap. Uh, it clicked. It clicked for me. And I became the Disney Parks fan, probably that I am today during during that time. And remember, the magic played a huge part in that because it was just so much of a wonderful, touching what the Disney Parks are all about. Well, that episode was 105. So uh, if you want to hear more about the 25th anniversary, check that out. Because we did a deep dive into that thing. But we had to at least address it in our 90s episode. Yeah. Now we're going to bring our episode to a close by talking about one more thing that I personally cannot disassociate from Disney in the 90s. And it's actually a person. It's Michael Eisner, the face, if you will, of Disney in the 90s. Love him or hate him. And there are certainly a lot of caricatures uh, caricatures, and... Uh, exaggerations to go around but without Michael Eisner the Disney company would not be nearly as successful or wide reaching or um, perhaps not even around in the same way that it is today I mean it just wouldn't be the parks certainly wouldn't be where they are Uh, there's just there's no downplaying his his influence on the parks, whether it was for money or what have you, he was a businessman and he did his job and he rescued the Disney company from a couple decades of kind of just, I mean, for lack of a better word, decay and just not caring. And he kind of brought it out of that. But you know, what's interesting about Michael Eisner and I don't know if it was just ego or what, but to me in the nineties, what I see is him trying to establish himself in the minds of young people anyways as the new Walt Disney. 
the way that he really was the face of the company, you know, doing those introductions and always yeah. seeming to be on television. Well, I think he was smart to think of it in that way, e- even if it was egotistical. I'm not going to – I can't probe the depths of his psyche, but I, for whatever reason it was, I think there was some kind of genius to the fact that he was going back to some of the formulas that worked. Like if we want people to come to our parks – and do this stuff and spend money on our stuff. We can't just throw product at him. There has to be a face to it. And he did that with his face, bringing on the characters, interacting with the things in a very personable way. Yeah, I I think I saw and heard from Michael Eisner more as an eight-year-old than I see and hear from Bob Iger as a 30-year-old Disney podcaster. And you certainly got the feeling that at least Michael Eisner, you know, looking back, and I'm not downing Bob Iger at all. I appreciate the things he's done. But you got the idea that Michael Eisner knew what he was talking about. You know, when he would make public appearances and stuff. And again, this is before social media and leaked videos and all this stuff. But, you know, Bob Iger kind of appears like a talking head at times, as with the Hollywood Studios name change mess up. Just, you know, that he doesn't quite know everything, that he's not really into it. And maybe Michael Eisner wasn't either, but he sure made us think he was. Yeah. I mean, we have Michael Eisner to thank for Splash Mountain. Almost have him to thank for a ride based on the movie Splash. So, <laughs> thankfully, we don't have that. <laughs> it, well, yeah, the Imagineers were there to rescue the bad ideas. But, I mean, the new Tomorrowland, Tower of Terror, Test Track, probably the works for Everest. I mean, just, you know, growing up the Disney parks a little bit to make them more appealing to older generations was, was him, too. Yeah. I would love to see a tell-all movie put out by Michael Eisner about his time with Disney. I, I don't know if we could believe half of it, but yeah. I would Well, there it. is a book out there, which is on my list to read, called The Disney Wars, if I remember right. And apparently it doesn't paint Eisner in a very positive light. Um, but There was this kind of... There was kind of this... Um, this thing back in the early 90s, you know, between Roy, um, I don't remember the right, the proper initial, but, you know, there was the rumor that he, like, resigned, like, hatefully, kind of negatively, because he didn't like the direction of 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 the, of the company under Eisner and what have you. But just looking at it from this end and, and seeing the things that Eisner did do, and if you want to read his account, I forgot the name of the book. But it's Eisner's story. Uh, I remember he presents himself in there as kind of the, and again, egotism or not, the the visionary who had to come in and rescue the company from a little bit of decrepit, de, what's the present tense of decrepit? Decrepancy? <laughs> sure. The noun version of it? <laughs> Whatever. Well, you get a little bit of that in the documentary uh, Waking Sleeping Beauty. You kind of see some of that, uh, particularly from the animation aspect of between uh, Roy Disney, Michael Eisen, Michael Eisner, Jeffrey Katzenberger, Katzenberg, Berger? Berg, I think. Burgermeister, Meister Berger. <laughs> and, uh, of course, Frank Wells is there, but he unfortunately passed away tragically in a helicopter accident so yeah a lot of egos but like you said we got a lot of good stuff out of it so yep and i every time i watched one of those wonderful world of disney movies that we talked about earlier it always started with hello i'm michael eisner yes 
Well, we need to wrap this up. I got to go feed my Tamagotchi and pin up my Jonathan Taylor Thomas posters. So I got to go throw some of those cardboard discs at the other ones to see which ones turn over. Pogs, Pogs, old man. Pogs, Pogs, yes. And my Game Boy is, uh, you know, I'm I'm losing light and I can't see it after dark, so I need to go play my Game Boy. Well, that's been a fun look back to the past. If we if we forgot anything that you just loved from the '90s, listeners, let us know. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and email. And our email address is comments at madchatters.net. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week, dude. And a quick reminder. Even though we look back at the 90s with such nostalgia, remember, we are living in the good old days. And 20 years from now, we'll be talking about this time the same way. So take a little time to find the magic in every day. Or will we? Is the girl's name Vanessa? No. No. Vanessa? Candace? No, that's their sister. Oh. Sorry, I was trying to help, but I've never seen Phineas and Ferb. Isabella. Isabella, that's it. Isabella. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Sung to the tune of Bella No Day. Oh, that was that's a moray, but you know, good try. Oh yeah, that's right. We've, we've gotten those conversation. <laughs> yeah. We've gotten those songs mixed up before. <laughs> Just a few times. Larry, it's like no place you've ever been in your whole life. The first thing you gotta remember about Disney World is to pace yourself. Now this is a mistake that a lot of first timers make. They've got all these unbelievable rides and cool stuff to do. If you try to do it all at once, you'll be sleeping like a baby by lunchtime. Number two, don't eat right before you go on Mr. Toll's wild ride. Number three, Goofy is huge. I know he's only this big on TV, but in real life, Goofy could beat up Dad. Well, I guess that's all the important stuff. You're going to love this place, Larry. It really brings out the kid in you. There's never been a better time to make the dream come true. We'll be leaving in about three weeks.